So this will be my last uh, podcast in this studio for a little while um, because I'll be leaving here, my home in Bali. Uh, for a couple of months, I'll be heading across to the USA where I go every year. I always enjoy the USA. Uh, last time I went there, it was a bit tense because um, <laughs> it was a year ago and everybody was arguing about all sorts of things. It was very politically charged. I'd never known America to be so polarized on literally every single topic. I remember in the past not being able to talk about certain things. If you mention one of the political parties, then generally the other political party gets upset. Um, so it's something you tend to avoid, or I tend to avoid as a subject when I'm there. But last time I was there, it felt like every topic was hugely emotionally charged and polarized. People felt very, very angry, very pissed off. So I'm hoping everything's chilled out a little bit. Quite nice to go to America and it was all <laughs> just calm and chilled again. So I hope so. But that's where I'm headed. I'm actually heading there today. I, I leave on the plane today to head over there. So yeah, I'm looking forward to get back to America, which has been somewhere I've been going to every year apart from uh, one year I missed because of COVID. But other than that, I've been going there for well over a decade now. So yeah, be good to go and see what's going on over there. Catch up with my friends over in the States. And then after that, I've got a, a month in Sweden as we always do our summer camp uh, where a bunch of us, about 200 of us this year, my God, it's huge, 200 of us and a lot of teachers and, and myself are over in Sweden uh, for a month in the forest. So yeah, good times. Summer's always <laughs> a really hectic period um, between being just in America and Sweden. So yeah, 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 I feel ready to go. I'm glad I got lots of energy, he says. Hmm, we'll see. We'll see if I can sustain it. So yeah, I'll be leaving here for two months. So this will be my last time in the studio for a little while. This podcast, I'm quite enjoying doing it. Um, I'll be honest, a little feedback before we start talking about something today. I meant to do more of them. I just did. But the last three months, I've been caught up in uh, really intense martial arts training. So it was sort of trying to squeeze podcasts in every now and then. I had many guests lined up, which I, I never ended up speaking to most of them just because I was too busy. But I'm, I'm hoping that after the summer when I get back, I can make them more frequent because overall the feedback has been largely positive on these. People seem to enjoy them. So, and I don't mind doing them. I like talking. Um, so it's no big problem. Several of the podcasts I went to do, I had the guests come in and I just ended up sitting, chatting with them without recording it was just ended up a private conversation. So I don't know, I'll be better. I'll be better at recording these damn things. Um, so yeah, <laughs> hopefully we'll be back at some point after that. But rambling aside, today I just felt like talking a little bit about something really uh, basic, which is the concept of chi. Because it's, it's funny, isn't it? Like if you've been in the arts for a long time or you've been doing this a while, uh, like I have, then the subject of chi is almost irrelevant. Like you... It's just a part of your training. The reality of it or the existence of it or the belief in it is almost irrelevant. It's just, it's a part of your training. Or I guess for some people, it's not a part of your training. It, it's not a big deal. But looking around on, I guess, the internet and, and forums and the way people discuss things or even just meeting people that come to train with you or conversation people, you realize that to a lot of people, Chi is a much bigger deal. It's a, it's a, the existence of or the non-existence of chi is almost as big a deal as like the existence or the non-existence of God when atheists and, and religious people have a conversation. It's not something that ever really resonated with me. The belief in it or the non-belief in it was almost irrelevant. But I think if you've been in the practice for any amount of time, then you will have an idea of the concept of chi. So I want to discuss mine. So with regards to discussing chi, I thought it might be more interesting rather than just uh, 
you know, give a succinct definition of it, which is what most people try to do. You know, they they say chi is just, chi is just this, chi is just that, which as soon as you say something is just, it probably means with regards to a deep concept that you probably don't understand it. I mean, I could say this is just a glass and even, you know, it's a very common everyday use object. And if I said it is just a glass, I'm probably doing it justice, but at the same time, on some level, a glass maker, but I might say I'm not doing it justice. There's an awful lot involved in the creation of that object. And it's no different with a concept such as chi, really, that if you say chi is just sensation in the nervous system or chi is just this or that or whatever, then you're definitely missing out on a lot of the sort of, I think, the nuance or the the depth of a concept or a substance, depending on how you view it, that became the the focus of study for generations of practitioners. Clearly, they, the old practitioners believe chi to be a highly important thing um, for the simple reason that they spent much of their time writing about it, cultivating it. It's There's whole classical texts, obviously, that discuss this concept over and over again. So the idea of uh, chi was clearly something that's very important to them. So I never want to reduce it to saying chi is just and giving a very simple definition. I'm always wary of anybody who says something is just. That very word instantly suggests to me that they don't really understand. You, you get it all the time in martial arts or whatever. Oh, chi is just this. Or they'll, but they'll say it about any concept. That simple phrase would be my advice would be to watch out for that phrase. If you see saying someone saying something is just, it probably means that not only do they not understand it, but they've kind of limited themselves in a little bit as as well you know it's like their mind has already drawn a conclusion on something and the problem with once you nail down the conclusion to something being certainly you know i know what it is it is just this it's very difficult to grow from that it's like your your mind kind of walls it in pens it in and can't enable it to adjust anymore so it's more accurate to say something like chi is this for me chi for me at this current moment through the limited knowledge i have means this and that, that is a better way to look at it. I, I mean, we all catch ourselves saying it. There's been several times, you know, I've taught and I've said, oh, it's just, and then in my head, I'm like, oh, don't, don't say it's just this. I have to remind myself that I, as a cultivator, I don't wish to anchor any of my conclusions into something completely solid, something concrete that can't shift or, or can't change. So I think with regards to chi, what I thought I'd do is discuss how I see it or how I've seen it really in different phases of my training. Um, because I've been in these arts a, a long time and I've been with lots of different teachers, um, uh, many of them just for short periods, but then I've had several core teachers that I've been with for years on end, you know, my entire life has been with a core teacher after a core teacher and each of these kind of, and then I had sort of peripheral teachers around that, you know, but each of those teachers I had that I kind of stayed with and I, I felt, I feel had a a great influence upon my development really had a slightly different take on chi or they could demonstrate a different aspect to it or enable me to understand chi from another angle and so that's what I want to explore really is the sequence if you like the historical development of my understanding of chi and I thought I'd do it this way to sort of think about it this morning over breakfast because um yeah, because I think it might it highlights the fact, hopefully, that I I don't think it's a concrete... You shouldn't get caught in this concrete idea of knowing what something is and then there's no room for it to change anymore. So, 
you know, I don't normally like to talk about my bio particularly, uh, my CV. I think it's a bit, like there's too many. I, th I think name dropping is a bit cheesy and things, but I have to talk a little bit about my my background a little bit so you can understand where my concept of chi comes from. So initially, the first place I ever heard the word chi, well, I didn't. I heard the word ki, the uh, Japanese version of it, because I began in the Japanese arts. So the Japanese arts where I started. And uh, back in those days, as a, as a kid, I was training karate, uh, Shotokan karate uh, originally. Um, and then obviously, because of the associations we had with the organization, I was interacting uh, with people from arts that I would study later, like Kendo and Aikido and things like this. And and especially uh, there was one branch of Aikido called Ki Aikido that, that I, I never studied Ki Aikido. I did a different form of Aikido, but Ki Aikido was a, a form of Aikido that I had some friends that were studying in that particular branch of it as well that had um, sort of their own kind of concept of what Ki was as well, this energy that was inherent within the arts. So I encountered this term Ki very early on. I would say age four or five was when I first heard it. And then obviously, as I got older, I became more aware of this concept of this idea of this sort of energy called key. Now, alongside that, I'd also was starting to read books um, from a young age about the sort of mythology of martial arts. I remember one that was like an anthology of pre-internet, right? So all you have was what books you could get hold of. And it was sort of a, uh, an anthology, a mix of legends and stories sort of Chinese and Okinawan and Japanese martial arts and I was fascinated by this book when I was younger and it was sort of short stories had sort of stories from Musashi and then I remember it had the eight immortals on it and um, various things you know sort of lots of legends and mythological martial artists I remember about a can't remember his name a guy subduing a tiger in a cage during World War II and all kinds of stuff you know very cool stories when you're young and many of those stories involve the concept of ki or chi this energy that could be cultivated so when I would read about these stories, the energy was often talked about in a very mystical format. You know, the idea of it being projected out of the body or it was an auric field of energy that the martial artist could control. Um, it was very much linked into the idea of spirit and seemed to be empowered by breath. That was basically my understanding when I was younger. But I didn't really have a sort of deeper understanding of or a direct experience. But that, that was kind of worked with, a combination of human spirit Definitely linked to the idea of a warrior spirit from when I was younger, idea of kiai or something like this from Japanese martial arts. Martial arts. So this idea of a of spirit mixed with a kind of cultivated mindset, so that it was kind of field around you, and also that it could be projected and then it was powered by breath. That was kind of what I was working with. So in those days, the way that ki was talked about or expressed this energy was really through striking. That was really the first sort of time I started to get used to it. So in classes, the idea was that at the end of a, a straight punch um, or whatever, an elbow kick, whatever technique you were doing, because most of the martial arts are doing was striking based at the time, was uh, that at the end, your spirit and your breath were all kind of combined as if you could kind of consolidate all of the energy within your body to a single point of focus to create more, more damage, more impact. And I certainly saw that actually from some of the high level sort of Japanese uh, sensei masters that I'd um, met at a young age, you know, like when they hit, there was something different about the way they struck. And there was a different kind of aura about them. They definitely had uh, 
a sort of field around them that's, that made people uncomfortable for sure, which you could put down to a psychological effect of charisma or something like that. I'm not sure, but you know, I could, I was sort of tangibly experiential, this kind of field around them that made you uncomfortable. And when they struck, there was almost like a crack. It felt like the air cracked a little bit when they do the, the techniques. So I guess if I, because I was young, I didn't really logically think about it. You don't worry about such things. So when you're young and you're told this concept of key, I must gather all my energy to a point at the point of striking and use my breath and my spirit. You just kind of logically go along with it. I didn't, I didn't question it. The idea of believing in key or not believing in key was irrelevant to me. And I have to say the people around me, it was, I guess they had a similar attitude. It's hard for me to remember because I was a kid, but I don't remember any of them ever really questioning or not questioning it. But maybe that idea of, spirit and breath and power all being consolidated into one point is not woo-woo enough to really cause a lot of questioning not really is it it's quite grounded in a way it's like you're accepting a concept of human psychology and spirit and everything focused to a point and that's good enough so people were working with this concept to develop this key and they also kind of knew that it was based in the hara and the abdominal region the power was there so there was a lot of contractive breathing and descending the breath to try to stimulate that area and lock it at the point of contact something that isn't within my arts any anymore that's not how my arts work but it's certainly what i was training at the beginning so we would work towards developing this kind of key the spirit but at the same time in the back of my mind there was those myths you know those stories i read about the people doing with it because doing things with key or chi their energy because those tales didn't match what i was being told in the classes right i mean the stories were of people doing amazing sort of superhuman feats with it and that certainly wasn't the same as mustering all of your power into a strike then a little bit older i got when I was a little bit older, I got hold of books, Life Story of Gijin Funakoshi, the, what they call the father of modern karate, um, who was an Okinawan who really developed Shotokan. And in his book, the story of uh, Gijin Funakoshi, mostly it was a book about sort of discipline and his story of martial arts and, and a very sort of moral um, story about the development of it as an art. But there was uh, a couple of sections in it that talked about him achieving or carrying out feats that were beyond the physical. This wasn't just focus, focusing all of your sort of body mass down to a single point of strike. This was beyond that. And then I got hold of the um, story of uh, Yoshiba from Aikido, who they call O-Sensei. And again, numerous feats mentioned in there that were kind of beyond the concept of key. I'd never seen videos of him at the time, um, but I was reading about it, you know. So all these ideas were here. But again, there wasn't a belief or a non-belief in me. I mean, the concept of belief is a, is a strange one to me. Belief is something you have when you don't know. It's how I see it. It's like I don't need to believe this wooden dog is here because I know this wooden dog is here. I can see it. I can, I can touch it. I can touch this rabbit that seems to have appeared on its head for some reason. don't know how that got there. Um, you know, I don't need to have a belief in that because I know it. And I think that's a part of the issue, isn't it? If you believe in something, you probably don't know of its existence fully. They're very different concepts. So I didn't really have a belief. That wasn't something that was important to me. I had a concept, some information that I'd read, some information that I'd heard. And then I had my direct experience, which didn't match what I'd heard. So rather than take those two situations information i had but no direct 
experience of it, rather than forming a belief out of it. I didn't decide to believe it or not believe it. I was just happy to simply say, well, exactly that. I don't, I don't know. I don't know because I don't have direct experience. And that was my, that was my position. But it was so irrelevant to me, that position, that it didn't form a strong part of who I was or what I was doing. It didn't form a strong opinion that I could have conversations on. Those kind of things didn't really matter to me. I think that if you believe in something, you you often have to defend that belief. And I think the problem is once a belief is shattered because you'd never get direct experience of something or someone disproves it, that can become quite difficult. And I think when a belief is shattered, a belief is a very powerful thing. And the result of that belief shattering is that then you get very defensive and it can be quite an emotional experience. And I think that's often what happens in the martial arts world because a lot of people will come into the martial arts world having a belief in this kind of mystical energy called chi. And then they never have any direct experience of it or their personal experience disproves their belief to them. So therefore what they've upheld as a belief is shattered. Why is a belief so powerful? I don't know. There's elements of faith in there, isn't there? Maybe there's an emotional charge to it, I'm not sure. But I see that once this belief is shattered, that's where this annoyance arises with all the people in the martial art world getting annoyed at anyone talking about anything to do with with chi. There's like an anger there, isn't there? It's like my belief is shattered, so I have to shatter everybody else's beliefs. I will disprove as many beliefs as I can. I was (laughs) chatting to a student the other day about um, a similar kind of concept with religion. Um... And it was interesting that we were talking about uh, she is someone who has more of a religious leaning, I think it's fair to say, and she was talking to someone who was very atheistic, very anti-religion. And it was interesting chatting about how this atheist, this anti-religion person is very intent on talking everybody out of believing in religion. It's like, you must stop being religious. I will disprove your religion. And also about disproving the concept of chi and things like this as well, like anything internal, like a full skeptic. And I thought it was it was funny because when I look at this person who's constantly trying to tell people, don't believe, don't believe, don't believe, your belief is nonsense, blah, blah, blah. They're quite an angry person. They're clearly not very happy. They're not very content. There's an agitation in them. And yet many of the people I know that not all, of course, but many of the people I know that have a belief system. Remember, to me, a belief system is something that's not proved. They just have a belief system. They might believe in God or, or the mystical or the esoteric or whatever. They might believe in Atlantis. I don't know, like wherever they have these belief systems. They're often quite happy. They're often quite happy. They're often <laughs> quite cheery in their beliefs. And now their beliefs might be true. They might be untrue. But it, it strikes me as the happy person with beliefs is often getting their... It's like the agitated person is trying to smash their beliefs. There, It's like, how dare you have something, a belief system that I don't believe in that keeps you happy. I will disprove it to you until you are no longer happy because your beliefs are shattered as well. It, <laughs> that's what it strikes me as. It's like I wish to spread my unhappiness to you. Now, if you look into the background of the person who I'm talking about, this atheistic person, they did have a very strong belief in the esoteric when they were younger and a strong belief in the spiritual. So it's kind of what I'm getting at is it seems like there was a lot of emotional power behind that belief. And then when it was shattered for whatever reason, disproved or whatever, then that's what I mean. There's that kind of backlash, that negative charge to it. Now, of course, the counter to that is having a belief can be a bit disempowering sometimes because people can take advantage of you or that is true but um you know there's positives and negatives to to everything but these are you know just my waffles on what i've seen because 
I think that applies very much to the Tai Chi world, for sure, with regards to things like Qi and internal force and subjects like that. But it never really came into my reality because I never had a belief. I didn't. I had nothing to defend. I had no vested interest in it. I simply had knowledge I didn't have plus some things I'd read. So those things I read and I'd heard about kind of shaped my view a little bit, but I couldn't argue one way or the other. It also wasn't important to me. I think maybe prior to the internet days as well, people were less worked up. So I didn't have a view on what other people were doing either. I was just very much in focused on my art. It's like a thing, isn't it? Like, I guess we all do it. I'm here giving my opinions, isn't it? But the internet is a world full of people with opinions. I was watching, what did I watch yesterday? I watched, I was feeling a bit under the weather yesterday, got a little bit of an infection. So I just sort of crashed out, nothing major. And I thought, oh, I'll have a rest. I'll watch some TV. So I put on the, the documentary about Conor McGregor on um, Netflix, who I find a very interesting uh, character. Whether you like him or dislike him is irrelevant to me. I just find him interesting. His life story is interesting. His persona is interesting to me. So I was watching his, his um, documentary and it was really interesting actually that when he, in the documentary, they showed him having some defeats. He lost to Dustin Poirier in one of the episodes, and uh, he lost twice, didn't he, to Dustin Poirier? But they they showed him sort of in recovery. He lost, and he's trying to get his head together. And obviously, losing in a fight is obviously a, a very difficult thing, especially in front of thousands and thousands of people, millions maybe, I don't even know. But all over the media must be very difficult. So it kind of showed those private moments after his defeat where he's kind of head in his hands, in the locker room, you know, his wife was next to him looking distraught for him and obviously going for a very difficult thing. He's got to come to terms. It's because he's built himself up. He's tried to train all these months and then it's all gone wrong. A very private moment to be shown. And what they did in the program was they overlaid all of the comments passed by people on the internet. It was just like a, a montage, I guess, a pastilla. I don't know what you call it, isn't it? But you know what I mean? Like they overlaid lots of clips of people speaking about him on the internet. And it was everything from professional sports commentators through to YouTubers, True Geordie podcasts, all that kind of stuff, coming on, sort of speaking about him, saying, oh, he's washed up, he's terrible, he's used... Like, all these things, just these these terrible, terrible opinions they have of, had of him that they're just happy to voice <laughs> just all over the internet with no no real insight into who he was. It was interesting seeing that many of their opinions are always oh, washed up because of this, he's lost because of this. And if you'd watched the documentary, you realize that many of those things weren't true. And that's what it kind of strikes me as, is the internet these days is one person does something and then, or one event happens, and then you get this whole sea of people just passing negative comment, like piling in, oh, this guy's washed up, he's a loser, blah, 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 blah. I think that, that I think that's really unhealthy and it kind of sums up where the martial arts world is and the concept of chi where it is as well. Someone mentions a concept and straight away there's a pile on of people just passing negative comments and, and criticisms and you can see all that emotionally charged stuff around sort of what I believe, what I don't believe, what is valid, what is not valid. And it's it's not a it's not a constructive discussion anymore. It's just a pile on of of negativity of people trying to smash other people's beliefs and i i think that why i'm talking about this is that was different when i was younger prior to the prior to the internet being there that didn't happen you didn't have an entire planet of thousands of people having all these opinions that are usually negative all at the same time what you had was the discussions you had with your friends and your peers and the people you knew directly in your life and then the things you read in some books and 
And that was it. And I have to say, <laughs> it was more peaceful. It was far, far more peaceful. Far easier to just explore something without being um, pushed and pulled and dragged everywhere by everyone's opinions. Uh, it, yeah, and I know the irony is I'm only putting my opinion in here as well. Um, but, you know, consequently, I try to just not pass too much judgment on individuals on, on what they're doing. I don't always succeed at that, but I try. It's like that, um, you know, as we go deeper into this, sorry, this is a longer chat. It's a bit of a personal one as well, I guess, with how I feel about this. Is As I go deeper into the concept of chi, like one thing I've noticed is that there, there's many people that are really, really anti it, of course. And if you do anything with chi and tai chi, then you, you automatically get hundreds <laughs> of people very negative about that concept, very negative about what you do. And it's funny seeing how the negativity goes. So for example, I will talk about something to do with chi and tai chi, um, or, or friends of mine will, like Adam or, or other people, Joey, people will mention a concept about chi. And straight away, the, the attacks start to come about your beliefs. And then after that, it's like, the emotions have started going. So then the attacks start to become more personal and then they start to become illogical Then eventually they turn into slander. And it's amazing. People would just say things that completely are not true. And it's funny seeing how that, it's like they have to just attack and attack and attack and attack on, on what you're doing. And, at the, and in return, you just get on with what you're doing. That's all you can ever do. But I think it was easier in some ways to study when I was younger because you didn't have all of that. You just had who you knew and what you were studying. So very much, I didn't have a belief. I just didn't have knowledge of what she was directly. And consequently, I was my belief or not belief or knowledge or not below knowledge was never under attack from anyone around me. I wasn't bombarded by thousands of people trying to tell me this or that. that it, it wasn't there. And I wonder, I do wonder if my exploration of chi and the internal arts would have been different if I'd, if I'd have grown up in an age with the internet. So if I'd have been, you know, in my early teens, late teens, early 20s, when I was really trying to explore all these concepts really deeply, the internet came about when I was kind of in my mid-20s. It was probably there before that, but I'm slow on technology, so I wasn't really aware of it. So it it sort of came about then really, all these discussions. So I wasn't affected by other people's opinions. I just got on with what I was doing. But I do wonder if I was sort of 10, 11, really interested in it and the internet was there. I wonder how many of other people's opinions, all the hate, all the vitriolic YouTube videos made about people's beliefs would have changed my opinion and set me on a different path. I think there's a high chance. I think I'm more likely to have been influenced by people saying, it's shit, you're going to get conned, it's not real, and then turned away from it. And if so, that would have completely transformed my life and would have been a terrible turn up from the books because I am 100% not in the material camp of what you can touch, taste, feel, hear, see is all there is. Um, definitely not. And my life is definitely the better for it. It's like my reality of what the internal arts are and what she is was formed long before I was exposed to thousands of opinions by naysayers. So I do wonder, just as an aside, how many internal arts practitioners in the last, whatever, how, many, how long has the internet been here? Fucking 20 years now or something, getting old. In the last 15, 20 years, I wonder how many internal arts practitioners have been put off or sent down the wrong path because of what's on the internet. I'm not sure. Or how many people have been stopped in their tracks 
how many of their dreams have been stopped, how many of their, their pursuits have been stopped by people saying, oh, it's not real, it's false, you shouldn't go down that route. Probably a lot. I suppose the counter that would be there's other people that have had input the other way and it sent them on a on a more of a woo-woo path. But I don't know. It's interesting to know that. Like, how much are we influenced by all these things? Probably quite a bit. So anyway, rambling. So moving on a little bit, and, and I kind of had that idea... I then started to, well, basically my family started to train in Tai Chi. So um, I was also exposed to it in my sort of mid-teens. Um, and I did little bits of it back then. Uh, not too much, you know, a little bit. I, I, I learned the form. I learned the form and I did the form. And I, I realized that the form for me in Tai Chi was just something very mindful and... Um, was good for sort of uh, very fine motor control and stuff. So I recognized, I liked it. And there was a part of me that the kind of exoticness of it appealed to me, you know, and it wasn't just sort of straight punches and striking or cuts with swords like I was doing. Then it was circles and spheres, which already felt quite esoteric, even though I had no idea what any of them were about. But I started there. And then my some of my family, my uncle and, and things, started to encounter a teacher that was doing things with, with chi. Um, and to him... This teacher, uh, Shen Hongzun, his name was, his chi, his concept of chi was much more tangible. It was the first time I'd sort of really seen literally this concept of the chi going to a dantian or circulating through the body or coming in and out of the body or something like this, you know. I'd already read about those things. Mantak Chi already had books out and stuff. And I'd already seen diagrams and things like that, but I'd not sort of tangibly experienced it for myself. So studying with my family then became very interesting because now there was this new concept, this physical sort of energy that uh, I remember the first time I felt it, uh, it was injected into my body from a, a short distance, not too far away, um, to which fully charged up my body and made it feel magnetized all over. And then when I was moving my, my limbs around, I basically could uh, feel the scenery around me and like super tangibly. It was ridiculous how tangible it was. And it wasn't based on any hypnotism or anything like that. It was simply somebody pointed their limbs at me, ejected she in, and now all of a sudden everything was thick. It was like I was moving through honey. And when I put my hands together, there was like a, a charge between them and uh, things like this. But it, it was quite amazing for me really at that age to experience that, that young. So now I had a kind of concept of chi. I was like, oh, feels like magnets. That was really it. That was the extent of my knowledge about chi. But what I did know was it was something that, okay, was physically tangible within the body. And concepts of being used for fighting was not really at the forefront of my mind at that stage. I wasn't that interested. I kind of got sucked off in this direction, sucked into this direction of sort of trying to just feel it, you know, and it was exploring the sensation of this new substance. So I went down that path and then I trained with um, that school for a while, quite a lot of years, really sort of developing it. During that time, I saw Chi demonstrated um, people doing things like empty force and, and from there, uh, which is no touch work, which obviously very controversial, um, which I explored for a little while actually myself, but actually um, decided it's a very unhealthy route to go down. In general, I'm anti-empty force, like no touch work. I, uh, I'm not into it, but I do think it was an interesting exploration, a phase of my life where I kind of looked at it a little bit and see what was going on. Um, another time I'll break down what empty force is maybe and 
what it is, what it's not, the reality of it, the falseness of it. You know, that there are, I got a very good idea of what it was, but I, I'm not so interested in it. And I think it's a wrong path for people to go down. But it was still an interesting exploration at the time. So I saw people doing things with qi. And then, then from there, as years went on, I saw, you know, the things like people discharging it as an electrical force and all that kind of stuff. And those were good for me because I saw the reality of, okay, there is this substance that is like they talk about in the mythological texts. So at that stage, I kind of went through a middle stage of my development where chi was very much this thing that could flow around and be stored within the body. And it, it none of that is inaccurate. You know, I don't, I don't disagree with it now. I just understand that it can go deeper. It can go deeper. So at that stage of chi, you know, all of a sudden, internal arts became something that became very interesting to me. And they took over from my external arts. I was doing both for a long time, but then internal arts took over and external arts pretty much fell away. And I was studying uh, Tai Chi and then Qigong and Bagua as well, um, all through China, then Southeast Asia, traveling to find Mars. That's where my sort of journey went on. I think if I'd have just been studying external arts alone, being drawn to Asia is was unlikely to me. I've never really had a fascination for Asian culture. Never really been a natural traveler, weirdly, for a man who's <laughs> seen a lot of the planet. I was never really that interested in it. And external arts like punching and kicking people and wrestling wouldn't really have been enough reason for me to go abroad. I wouldn't I wouldn't have journeyed into Asia for that. But once this other side to it became the the aspect of chi, I'm so happy so grateful, feel so blessed that my eyes were open to that side of it, that yeah, traveling to Asia became something that I wanted to do. So I had to go find these people. So I headed into China and Southeast Asia for many years. And much of my journey was about trying to understand that. But I ended up with a love-hate relationship to it, to Qi, especially with all the different traditions I saw, because I saw what it did to people. I think that... Um, I think with, as with all things that are, a bit, that, that are powerful or weird or out of the norm, they're a sort of double-edged sword, aren't they? So what I started to encounter was there were people that were exploring it, but then there were people that were obsessed with it, that were fanatical about it, especially with the, the abilities that can come from chi, the kind of superhuman projection of energy out of the body and stuff like that. And what I saw was there was a lot of people that weren't really interested in the arts anymore. They were just interested with having superpowers. I want to be able to do this and I want to be able to do that. City chasers, I guess, is one word for them. And I realized just how damaging that was because it it was the new obsession. It's, it, was all, it never did anything healthy for them. So, And I recognize a part of that in myself as well. There was something that was very fascinated by those powers. And the more I looked inside, the more I realized, well, the fascination with those powers actually comes from a deep inadequacy. That's all it is. I might pretend it's something else, but to be able to do things with chi that other people can't do, that are mystical, that are esoteric, was mostly attractive simply because there was inadequacy inside me that might have come from what? Uh, I don't know, being bullied or feeling less than other people, or maybe it wasn't as attractive as I wanted to be or something. I don't know, like whatever that inadequacy is built into us in our formative years formed that obsession with these powers. And the more I met people who were chasing these kind of cities, especially when I got into the lineages that had those, I saw that basically that's what most of them were. They were people struggling with deep inadequacies that needed, that really needed psychological help. But instead they were trying to kind of, um, overcompensate by developing these powers now the downside of that is 
there's a sort of shadow to that kind of side of a person's nature. So also most of the people that were chasing those abilities or that were simply surrounding the masters that had those kind of abilities weren't the nicest of people. Not really. They, you know, they would tend to be a bit backstabbing and manipulative. Um, they would certainly take advantage of other people. They had weird ideas around domination and power. I guess probably come from that same inadequacy. So I ended up finding myself in this weird world, I don't mind admitting, where I was pursuing knowledge in something, but realizing that I was, the more I pursued it, the more I was dragged into a world of people that I really didn't like. And there wasn't necessarily, wasn't necessarily the teachers or the masters I was meeting, but it was certainly the people that surrounded them. And to this day, you know, to this day, when I get people that come into my school that are really fascinated by powers, they've seen that, they've seen John Chang, they're pursuing this, I instantly don't trust them. I instantly don't trust them. I kind of, I kind of know what they are. I kind of know that there's something inside them that's that's not right. So they want that superpower and, and superpower. And when I get to know them a little bit more, I do realize that they're generally they're not people I would trust. They're not people I would trust in positions of power or something. So there's there's some kind of healthy, unhealthy attraction that we have to those kind of powers. And the more I saw it, the more it made it me step back and kind of explore those concepts within myself. There was a, a long period of self-scrutiny. So I had to, I found myself in a position where I, I didn't like what I found. So I had to step away from it all. So then that's really why my arts evolved from pursuing kind of Qigong and internal forces to moving into sort of more meditative stuff and meditation and the pursuit of spiritual arts on that level, like direct connection with spirit. I wanted to understand that thing within inside of me. What is the core of me that generates these these issues? So much of my training for a long time was trying to deal with these inadequacies that meant I was drawn to these kind of things. And and I wish more people would go down that route. I think it would be healthier for them. And as I went through all of that, I realized that I had to unfold all of my sort of attachments to violence that had come or competing with people that came from external martial arts. And I had to unfold and dissolve all my attachments to powers and feelings of inadequacy. And it was like a whole exploration. It was like I was traveling along this path to explore external and internal arts. Then I had to go off on this tangent for a bit to sort myself out and then back on that path. And I think it was, but I think it was good for me because whilst I was exploring the nature of myself and my motives for why I was interested in stuff, interested in these kind of esoteric or otherworldly aspects of life, while it made me a lot more, maybe a lot more responsible with it. So that when I sort of continued with teaching, because I was teaching at the time, I was, a, I was a lot more capable of, no one's perfect, but a lot more capable of doing it in a moral or ethical, morals and ethics, I don't know the difference between those two words, everyone always says my definitions are wrong, so I use both words at the same time. My morals and ethics were a lot better, and I was able to remain centered uh, while I was doing it, which was a lot better for the people I was teaching, um, a lot better for me in general. So why I'm telling you this, because I think that there is a side to it that if you're going to get into the world of chi, if you are going to start exploring it, and if you do encounter people who can do things with it, you have to face yourself at some stage because you'll have to come to your own conclusion as to why you're interested in that. And once you've dealt with whatever demons might be behind your motivation for doing it, then I think that's when you're in a healthier place to continue with that study. Because by that stage, when I went off on my tangent and disappeared into meditation for, for a while, 
to try to deal with myself uh, meditation and self-imposed isolation really for periods of time to to confront myself i already had some abilities with chi i already had some of those so it meant that they stopped being such an excitement for me something i wanted to show and something that just they were either useful in any given moment or they weren't and they were just part of my study they, i almost developed a nonchalance to them a blase approach to it so it kind of reflects how i was when i was younger you know it's like when i was younger as i said i didn't have a belief i was didn't have any knowledge i just certainly i was the belief i didn't have a belief i was ambivalent i was neutral to the existence of these things now i'd got to another stage where i got excited about it and i had to develop an ambivalence or a nonchalance and a relevance to those things all over again but this time i had knowledge so i had direct knowing of the existence of chi so it was a an interesting evolution for me to go through especially when i look back upon it but i still have that distrust of people that pursue powers i think it's I think it's risky. I think it's risky, and part of the part of the big deal of the internal arts is to study motives for anything. You know, study motives. Motive. Why are you doing something? You know, it's it's probably the thing that is attributed to other people by commentators more than anything else. And it's like we decide someone's motives. It's like the Conor McGregor thing, you know, where he'd lost that fight and all it was the pastiche of all the all the people passing comments on him. And most of the negative comments were they were giving his motives. Oh, he's not stimulated. He's not ready to fight anymore because he's rich or his motivation is from anger. It, it was like all the negative things were all the negative motivations that came from what Conor was doing. Nobody really knew why Conor McGregor was doing such a thing. Now, if I look back to my situation with exploring Chi, it wasn't other people's motivations that I needed to look at, it was my own. I didn't trust other people's motivations. Like I say, I feel that most human motivations when we struggle to be different from other people comes from some kind of inadequacy. But I need to confront my own. So rather than sitting there on the internet trying to decipher other people's motivations, which is an easy trap to get sucked into, my own had to be looked at and I had to explore what is this thing in me that wants to understand this substance chi? Do I want to understand it for cultivation or do I want to understand it for personal benefit? And that that's a big deal and I think something that should be relevant to almost everybody in the internal arts, certainly when you get past a certain level. So my understanding of chi, to go back to the original thread, at that stage was, you know, it's an energy. That was it. That was basically what I was working at. Then, of course, as I went deeper on into it, I started to be able to directly experience or know the mechanisms behind it. So then chi became something that was more linear through the body. It flowed and it moved through the body. Channels became more available to me to directly feel. Um, the idea of an electrical current moving through the system was meant it was passing through the nerves and then a magnetism that creates sensations of pushing and pulling and heaviness and lightness. All of these things became sort of available to me. And again, none of them beliefs, they were just things that I could directly know through my studies. And that was the I, that was the key point, that in order to understand it, I had to know it. I had to directly know it. Nobody could tell me anything, nobody could demonstrate it. I had to know it for myself. So I had to be able to do it. And that was where the study came in. But of course, at each stage of knowing, I think I think I was generally sensible enough to know that my knowledge at that time was not the final solution or the final answer for what chi was. I knew it was a work in progress, and I knew that my understanding needed to go 
deeper. I could define chi deeper if I just didn't stay where I was. I had to keep exploring. So I was aware at any stage that whatever I knew chi as was just a temporary thing. So that model of chi served me really well for a long time. You know, of it flowing, of it having yin and yang qualities, of it being stored in the body, moved around, stuff like that. Served me for a long time because it enabled me to really understand the mechanisms behind the internal arts. And of, of course, my my training kind of veered off and it adjusted everything I was doing at that stage because I'd gone from a, a who was primarily a martial artist, somebody who was primarily a martial artist, into somebody that was primarily a Qigong teacher and, now, <laughs> and a Qigong practitioner as well as meditation. And it's funny because when I was younger, I never would have dreamed that, like not at all. I was really into martial arts. I was born into a martial arts family. I was fighting and training and hitting things and getting hit and grappling with people and you know surrounded by people that were doing the same and my self-identity was wrapped up in that so the very thought of ending up a qigong teacher was kind of alien to me kind of bizarre thing uh, i wouldn't have thought that was even possible but of course that's what i ended up becoming because the fascination with exploring or understanding chi really took over um, and the more that I developed direct knowledge of it, of course, the more it became applicable as a cultivation method. And I decided long ago that that was the most useful thing for the majority of people, not martial arts, but to actually understand the potential for the insides of their bodies. So I started to teach that more and more and more to the point that I started to make more and more material available publicly on, on my particular experiences and limited knowledge, admittedly, of the internal arts. But I thought any information I could put out there to people might be useful. But then I always had to try to temper that with the kind of self-analysis or the morality that I believe should go along with the art. So I had to develop a kind of very almost rigid, which I know rigid is bad, but it's what I needed for a while. It was a very strong code of behavior ethics that should be around those arts because I didn't really want to take someone into a place where they could develop an understanding of these internal arts and then use it negatively to impact other people negatively so I, I was very aware of that sort of balance that difficult balance while I was teaching because I would never last thing I'd want to be as a negative influence influence upon the world that's very important to me so that's what I did I went down that route into the Qigong and then I transferred to my current um, teachers and where I am now where I've been for the last nine years eight years nine years I don't know something like that um, and working with, with this particular tradition and it's it's funny to see how the evolution of the understanding of chi has changed again, because I went from, it's, it was like three phases, you know, phase one was martial arts that your chi, your energy or your chi even, are about a combination of breath and spirit and focus, okay? Then there was almost quite materialist, I guess, in a way. Then there's the middle level stage of my development, which is about, it's this sort of substance, this energy. Um, electrical magnetic fluid kind of stuff vibrating energy through the body that can be moved and stored in a dantian and circulated and taken out of the body and put back in like it's a kind of substance which wasn't inaccurate but which definitely represented a mid-level or middle stage of my development you know a sort of central point and then this third stage was different because now these teachers i work with are they're not really city guys they're not into the development of power. It's very much about, um, well, it's a cultivation system. I'm, I'm not thinking because I don't know what they're saying. I'm thinking to try to put it into a way that does it justice. Essentially, their concept is that Qigong is purely a 
spiritual practice at its roots. So it's about direct connection to truth, to spirit, to the divine, whatever. You can put whatever context you want onto that according to your own conceptual framework you work to. But that's what it is. It's it's a, a, a spiritual cultivation system. So their concept of chi is different. It's that it arises from something else. So the experience of chi is not about a mechanical energy that's built within the body, their experience of chi is something that arises from becoming closer to connection to the divine. So when I encountered this way of working, the first thing I thought was once again, well, I don't have any direct knowledge of this. <laughs> I hear what they're saying, but I don't have any knowledge. And I don't want to develop a belief system about it because once again, that's unhealthy. So I fell back on what I find quite easy to do, which is to be indifferent to something. I was interested in it, but also didn't form an opinion. I was nonchalant to it. So I just did it. I'm I'm quite capable of just studying something without any particular motivation for some reason these days. I don't know what, how or why I can do that. So I went into these arts. I was inspired by the teachers, of course, very inspired by them as people. Um, so I, I explored it. And then, of course, then my direct knowledge of chi is something very different, is that there is another aspect of chi that exists beyond that which linearly flows within the body. And I'm not talking seven star different planets and all that kind of stuff, but more larger fields that seem to exist within you that connect you to different experiences. And, and experiences is a bad word. Two different parts of your being. So that if chi can be cultivated and connected on the best level or, or, or an efficient level, it actually causes you to integrate with and become one with things that you might call your soul or your true self or the divine. Like, really, that's what's going on. At this stage, the chi is cultivated to enable you to develop union to something. It's, it's, it's certainly the highest aspect of qigong or chi work that I've had personal direct contact with at the moment and a much healthier place to be. It doesn't walk that sort of tightrope of power and domination and all that. It, it simply loses itself almost in a very, it is religious in a way. It's not a structured hierarchical religion per se. So maybe religion's the wrong word. Hmm. What would you call it? Holy, I guess. It's not a, it's not religion, you know, like going to church on a Sunday, but there is a holy aspect to it. There is a a spiritual, there's a divine quality to the energy at that stage. And and of course, because I main, didn't maintain any particular belief system, I just gone on to it. And then of course, you get to the stage where I do have a direct knowing of it. And, and it's funny, I feel like I'm just on the sort of <laughs> the threshold of it, you know, it's early days for me, I have direct knowing of the nature of this kind of chi but yet it's not able to lead me to union yet, you know, and that's okay. And maybe it never will. Um, I'm not overly worried about results. I'm just happy with my cultivational practice. So to me, now in my third stage of development, that's what chi is. Chi is simply something that can be cultivated within your body that can at its higher level lead you into direct connection with the divine. It's the route that leads to full spiritual cultivation. But I'm not going to say it's just that because, of course, well, A, you can't say it's just something that connects you to the divine. That's a high, that's a very high thing indeed. But it's uh, it's also only my direct knowing of the nature of chi. It's only my direct knowing right now. That doesn't mean that's my final definition of it. I'm assuming, I'm hoping, 
that I'm only 42, I think, 42 years of age. So I've got plenty more years left of, of study for sure. Um, so I'm assuming that my definition and understanding of chi and what it can do and what it is will change as time goes on as I go deeper into my, my development. So I'm never going to say that's the final definition of it. It's not just that. So that means that I don't want to explore that too much at the moment because that's a little bit of a personal study. I just I just want to introduce that concept really to just show that I've gone through different developmental stages. What I usually do, to be honest, is I normally will openly talk to students or the public or people about the stage I was at previously because I always think the stage I'm at right now is open to error and flux and complication and confusion. So I don't tend to talk about it. I normally talk about the past. So I will talk about and teach things that were relevant to me in the past because I know that I've kind of developed beyond them. So I have a fairly good idea of how they work and what they're doing. But I don't talk about where I am because it's still an exploration and I would never want to lead someone down the garden path. But in conclusion for how I see chi, what it is to me is it's all of those things at the level i'm studying now it's a, a something that that is holy or has a divine quality to it at the stage i was previously focused on heavily it's an energy that can be built up like a battery within the body and moved and and done things with taken out of the body into the body circulated that's all definitely true and then in the early stages when i was understanding it as something that's developed from spirit and focus to a point that was also true as well it's like to me all of those things were encompassed under this phrase of qi and that's not even including Chinese medicine or feng shui or any of those other things I've studied over the years that's simply within this main cultivational path of martial arts and qigong so it's a very wide encompassing all-encompassing term I think that has to be explored through direct knowledge yeah I'm happy with that with how I see qi at the moment I think that An error for people is to overly focus on, I've already kind of highlighted in the talk, to overly focus on what it can do too much. I think it's better to simply explore and see what happens <laughs> and try to develop direct knowledge of it. That's the only thing you can ever do. It's too easy to be swayed by other people's opinions in the same way as you shouldn't be swayed by mine. Definitely not. You should do your, carry out your own exploration. You also shouldn't be swayed by the people that tell you it's a complete waste of time. Definitely not. I think that um, an exploration of something that has been very important to many cultures for many, many generations is never going to be a completely invalid path to follow. It will lead to something. But avoid beliefs and work towards direct knowing instead. You know, I think that would be kind of how I see it. So maybe... I'll conclude here. Another rambling one. Some of you like my rambling talks. Some of you don't. <laughs> I know. I'm like Marmite or Vegemite in Australia. Um, with the like it or you don't like it, there's no indifference to it. So apologies if you don't like these rambling ones. But I, I guess that I wanted to conclude this sort of series of podcast talks that I did. Some on my own, some with other people, didn't it? My dad and Adam and Joey got involved in, in these ones. Uh, Adam twice, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I, I, I wanted to conclude these talks really with a discussion of chi because as much as anything, I've just spent three months every single day surrounded by a whole ton of people 
studying qigong together and martial arts together so this concept of qi has come up a lot and the word has come up a lot and there's been a lot of teaching based around it so i guess it's been at the forefront of my my mind and as much as anything it's been trying to foster within the people or at least guide them whilst teaching them to really explore it in the same way that look don't develop a strong belief system we must have direct knowledge of it and then you must come to your own conclusions allow the definition to build up in you my teacher always tells me that you know reading books is okay but it's better to become your own book you know with regards to your own direct knowledge through the through the work that you're doing so it, I guess the concept of chi has been something that's come up and, and that's why I wanted to discuss it. Other than that, those three months of teaching have been good. <laughs> They've been hard work. <laughs> They've been hard work. Um, but it's been it's been good fun uh, training in a full-time place for, for three months. So a few days off now and then I shall be uh, heading off to America. To catch up with the next bunch so if you're listening to this and you're in the american group then i look forward to seeing you soon thanks very much guys